You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 575 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, and today's show is brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't like your friend's trip. Book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. Be there. Do that and get rewarded. Uh, thank you for joining me on the podcast today, and there's plenty to get to. It's going to be very, very heavily focused on the NBA draft. If you missed it over the weekend, I guess it was on Friday morning, was, a, was the first post time um, of my most recent podcast with, with the great Tyler Jones. We went very long and in-depth talking about the NBA draft um, in a post-lottery world, so please go back and check that podcast out. It's a good one, and I know people like Tyler, so that was a lot, that was a lot of fun to record. Today's pod is just me, but a lot of stuff from the combine that I heard and observed. Uh, I was not there, but one of those things where uh, I have enough context around the league and also was able to watch all the uh, unedited 5 on 5 competition. So there's plenty to dive into from the combine and then some uh, some scuttlebutt around the league that actually made some reporting that I wanted to dive into uh, over the weekend. So plenty to discuss on today's podcast. Um, first things first is the combine. We'll just sort of go down what, sort of a news and notes kind of section here talking about a lot of different things that I uh, noticed and just wanted to pass along um, for guys that could be in the range of the Atlanta Hawks. Um, first things first, I suppose, um, high school to pro prospect Darius, ba- Darius Basley, who has been actually spending the last year working as an intern for New Balance. He's a very interesting prospect in some ways. He looked pretty good to me. And as someone, you know, he's always someone I get asked about quite a bit because there was not any college film on him. I've seen him play a few times in the high level high school things. I have some film on him, but not, not a ton. He and Jalen Leck, who's the guy I'm going to talk about in a second, those guys are the guys I've seen the least just because they're just not that much film on the high school two pro guys. But I thought Basil looked pretty good in the scrimmages. He also tested pretty well. He showed off some of his intriguing skill set. He's very long, doesn't really lack for much, doesn't have a ton of uh, you know super NBA polished skills right now. But at the same time, in the second round where he's projected to go, that'd be an interesting guy for the Hawks if they want to take a more long-term look at someone in this class in the 40s or so. Same goes for Jalen Leck, who tested absolutely off the charts. Uh, he has he's about just for reference, he's about a six four. Um, for me, he's a shooting guard with a six eight and a half wingspan. He had a forty three and a half inch max vertical leap. That's number one in the entire draft. He's just an off the charts athlete. That's his big calling card. He's gotten some some comparisons, um, at least in recent years, just for situationally more than anything else to Hamadou Diallo and Anthony Simons. Not the same exact kind of player. He's definitely closer to Diallo in the way that he was billed coming into the league as this uh, hyper athlete. Uh, Diallo, of course, did, did play some in, at Kentucky. At Kentucky, however, probably lost a little bit of his luster playing college basketball, but um, Leck is interesting. He didn't look out of place to me, just didn't pop too much in the scrimmages, but his testing will get him drafted, I'm sure, and he's an interesting prospect. Same thing as Basley, which is more of a long-term view. He will not be helping an NBA team this year, I can't imagine, but a long-term, a pretty talented player. Uh, elsewhere, Jordan Bone, who is from Tennessee, and actually one of the guys that we're breaking down, all these guys actually that we're talking about, I think the, the vast majority of them, if not all of them, will have uh, NBA draft scouting report profiles over at PeacherHoops.com. I know some of these have been written already, including Jordan Bones. He was pretty impressive. Uh, the former Tennessee player was uh, basically his combination of measurements and uh, agility stuff was really impressive. Uh, he, he had the fastest lane agility time and the fastest shuttle run in the entire draft. He was the second best to Jalen Leck in vertical leap. 
He is pretty small at 6'3", but he actually played pretty well at Tennessee. Didn't always play with that kind of burst that he showed off at the combine, but because it's already in there, that can sometimes be a pretty good thing to look ahead. He's a second-round prospect as well. It could be pretty interesting for the Hawks to monitor. Uh, Taco Fall, a very popular name, the big man out of UCF uh, who measured 7-7, yes, 7-7 in shoes with an 8-2 wingspan and a 10-2.5 standing reach. So basically, uh, Taco Fall can duck a basketball without without jumping, which is absolutely insane. Um, comical numbers, obviously. He looked pretty decent, actually, to me on the floor. I know uh, he's coming up very soon on our draft profile series, and Jeff Siegel will be writing about him for PeacheTreeHoops.com. He's definitely uh, more of a gimmicky thing at this point in time, uh, you know, not so much as he was a few years ago. He's actually a legitimate, you know, top 100-ish kind of prospect, but I would not draft Taco Fall. He'd be someone I'd be definitely willing to bring into a summer league or a training camp setting because he's a very interesting prospect because he is so big, and defensively, he could be a game-changing kind of guy, but just the way that the modern game is is not probably the best fit in the world. Think of Boban, except for even bigger and less skilled offensively. So we saw that, you know, when Boban has a, has a good matchup um, with, with Philadelphia, he, we've, we've seen him play well, but there are also times he, he, that he just can't be out there, and that could be the case for Taco fall so that's somebody to monitor moving forward those guys um, are also joined in second round conversation by Diedrich Lawson and Charles Matthews and Tremont Waters guys I want to talk about a little bit here Waters I thought was pretty darn good the LSU guard he may have firmed up a second round draft slot as a result of his play I wasn't sure that he'd be uh, going in the draft for sure but he looks like he's gonna be a, probably a top 50 kind of guy at this point not a perfect Hawks target in my opinion but he'd be just fine in the 40s honestly if they wanted to groom a potential backup point guard I thought he played very well in the scrimmages it was a rough week, uh, at least in what I saw from Diedrich Lawson, the Kansas forward who did not test well or look very good in the scrimmages. He was extremely productive at Kansas, and I think he might get some more attention than you might think as a result of that, but just does not profile as a guy who translates great to the NBA right now. I feel bad about saying that, but just did not look good, did not really seem to be in his element in uh, Chicago. And uh, my large adult son, Charles Matthews, uh, former, former Michigan wing, who I, uh, I, I definitely enjoy. He was game-changing at times defensively. Offensively, it comes down to whether he can make a, make a jump shot, frankly, because he's not going to be adding too, too much elsewhere. But he looked the part as probably the best wing defender in the entire class. And that's kind of what you're looking for if you're looking at Matthews in the 40s or 50s. He's worth that kind of investment because if he can ever knock down an open three, he'd be an NBA player almost certainly. Um, other than that, the rest of the guys we're going to talk about are at least uh, tangibly first-round prospects if they can get uh, in the mix here. The first guy I wanted to mention is Luka Samancic. I'm sure I can't say his name correctly, but he was actually shut down after only one 5-on-5 five -five appearance. He looked great in that game, and he's apparently uh, jumping into some first-round discussions now, according to people that I've talked to and also people that I'm reading around the internet. He's a very skilled 6'11", big man type that can shoot it and uh, definitely play a little bit with uh, the ball in his hands and uh, a pretty, good, pretty decent athlete. So he'd be someone to keep an eye on at 35 for the Hawks. He may be gone by then, frankly, based on the way this has gone. But um, Samanich could be someone who, if the Hawks are willing to stash him, that might be a nice fit considering that Atlanta is on the record as not wanting five rookies. That might set the stage for at least one draft and stash if they do not make a trade or two. Um, elsewhere... Tyler Hero had a bizarre measurement. He didn't do too much else, but he was a 6'6 with a 6'3 wingspan. Never seen anything, anything like that in my life, uh, frankly. I think it might, might, that might be the first minus three wingspan I've ever seen. Uh, Hero, it shouldn't burn him too much in his uh, draft evaluation. It didn't, definitely doesn't help him necessarily, but he at least was 6'6. And I think his, it's more about his shooting and his scoring acumen than anything else. So um, might not help his defensive profile, but at the same time, not a huge thing. Just kind of something that I observed and wanted to pass along to everybody. 
Uh, Grant Williams from Tennessee measured only 6'7 in shoes. Wasn't great in the 5-on-5, I didn't think, but still a first-rounder in my opinion. He's going to fall for some people based on his lack of measurables and his lack of uh, huge burst. I've always been pro um, Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield, his teammate at, at Tennessee. I think they're both underrated through draft circles because they're just not typical um, you know, measurable, athletic, run-and-jump kind of guys. But I think Williams is very skilled. Not necessarily his, his best setting. Uh, you know, I, I sort of admire him for playing in the draft combine, but at the same time, it uh, wasn't necessarily like he needed to do that. I think for me, he's like a pick in the 20s. If he, if he falls to 35, then you've got to think about it to be sure. I think he'll probably be my best player available if he's still on the board for the Hawks at 35. But um, somebody to keep in, keep in mind that they just didn't, didn't fare at all that well at the combine. Um, Bull Bull is a very popular Hawks fan conversation right now. He measured at 7'2", with a 7'7 wingspan and only 208 pounds. That is absolutely crazy in terms of pure measurables. He weighed less than some of the point guards that were there, uh, despite being, again, 7'2", with a 7'7 wingspan. Uh, he actually weighed in at like 235 during some high school stuff, and I guess maybe even pre-college stuff, or when he was even at at Oregon, so I'm, I'm curious to see why he lost so much weight. But um, you know, somebody something to keep an eye on there with Bowl. For me, he's not going to be someone that the Hawks have a chance at unless they trade down. Because at 10, I wouldn't take him. At 35, he'll be long gone, I would imagine. So probably not going to be a Hawks target, but still uh, a player to keep an eye on there that I wanted to mention. A couple more here that I wanted to get out there. Um, Local product, Georgia big man Nick Claxton. It looks like he's not going to be available at 35, but for a, for a while there, I thought he was going to be pretty much right in the crosshairs for Atlanta as a defense-first um, modern big man, but he seems to be rising to the point where he's often mocked in the first round now, and people that I talk to think he's going to go in, he's going to go in the 20s somewhere. That would not be a huge surprise. He measured great with a 7-2 wingspan, looked fantastic defensively. He just moves so well defensively, probably uh, you know, aside from Zion, might, might be the best defensive prospect as a big man in this class overall, just given his fluid and the way that he sort of profiles for the modern game. Uh, a very interesting player in some ways. Wasn't always great in college, but someone who could be a profiling as a, a sort of a, a top-end role player type in the NBA. Other guys who are more interesting for Hawks stuff from now on, uh, Jarrett Culver measured at 6'6 and, and, and three quarters, which was bigger than he was supposed to be uh, coming in. Uh, actually, a wingspan about 6'9 and a half as well. That exceeds his listed numbers. There was a lot of widespread suspicion. I talked about in this podcast even earlier in the year that he was not – 6'5", as previously listed at Texas Tech. There was a lot of conspiracy theories about how tall he actually was, but 6'7", or so, 6'9", Winsman, that probably helps him uh, overall, even though most of the big guys, including him, did not play in terms of actually getting on the court, but Culver, that definitely helps him to some degree. Uh, Nazir Little from North Carolina measured only 6'6", which is probably not great, not the greatest thing in the world, but does have a 7'1 wingspan to help mitigate the lack of pure height for him. Did not measure terribly well in the shuttle and land agility times. Kind of brutal, actually, in both of those. And weighed less than I thought he was going to, but not too much of a worry for me. I'm not, I don't want to overreact too much to the testing, but it was not a great uh, necessarily combination of traits for Nas Little. He did jump well, 38-inch vertical leap. I think he did well in interviews, though, from what I was uh, told and what I've read around, read around the Internet. I, I was, of course, not there, but something that I wanted to point out as well. He also shot the ball well, according to all reports and some individual stuff, but... Nas Little is going to be someone who is a popular discussion point for Hawks fans, uh, probably at number 10, maybe even number 8. And I think uh, I still have him in my top 10 or 11 prospects in this class. So it doesn't really kill him, that the lack of height and the lack of burst, but not a great showing for him, honestly. Um, Brandon Clark had a uh, probably the most controversial um, measurement of the entire time at 6'8 wingspan. It made a ton of... Uh, 
news, including some for me, even just the fact that I was surprised by it. He measured a 6'8 with a 6'8 wingspan, so a neutral wingspan is not great for someone who profiles as potentially some small ball center stuff from, from, from Brandon Clark. On the flip side, though, he was absolutely unreal in athletic testing. He was elite in every category across the board. He had a 40-and-a-half-inch vertical leap and had the best time of, a, of a, any pure big man in, in this draft in basically every category. Obviously, Zion was not being measured, but aside from that, uh, Clark uh, is an elite athlete. We, we knew that coming in, and he definitely doubled down on that with the way that he tested. The uh, wingspan is going to hurt him in some circles, but the athletic testing might help him. I think for me, it doesn't really change too much. He's definitely a lottery pick in my mind. Uh, would be someone who I would be perfectly reasonable with if the Hawks were to draft him at number 10. And that's not going to be changing based on the combination of, yes, a suboptimal wingspan, but uh, de- very, very encouraging uh, testing times for Brandon Clark. Uh, last thing is a non-combine item that I wanted to point out. That's, that's that Seku Demboya was uh, fantastic over the weekend. I got to watch this game. It was probably the best game of his life. He had 34-9 in a big spot over in, uh, over in Europe. I can't exactly hurt his stock. It was probably well-timed for him. Uh, famously, most of the European guys don't come to the combine. Obviously, I mentioned before that Lucas Semantic was there, but Seku's still playing uh, by nature of the fact that he had that awesome game. I think some people view him as a top-10 guy. I'm not fully all the way there on Seku just yet, but I definitely would understand taking the swing on him at number 10 overall for the Hawks, given his upside. And he's uh, seems to be pretty fast rising. For instance, I would probably, I would definitely have him ahead of all of the pure centers in this draft. He's not a center. He's more of a, a hybrid forward type. Does have center length and uh, potential in terms of a rim protector later on. But for me, he's more of like a power forward hybrid kind of player. So I'm not, I'm not grouping him against the centers, but just for reference, I would have him ahead of Jackson Hayes. I would have him ahead of Goga, uh, sorry, Go, Goja Batazzi. I have him ahead of, of Bold Bold and all those guys that are pure centers. He against Brandon Clark would be interesting because they're pretty much polar opposites. Uh, Seku is a definitely a much younger, like four years younger kind of player with more theoretical upside, whereas Clark is more established and also an elite athlete, but he's definitely an old kind of prospect. So that, that might be an interesting com- um, conversation for me, it's like a three-player tier with Nas Little, Seku, and Brandon Clark that might be a lot of jockeying for position in that 9-10 range. So we'll keep an eye on him in the future, but a pretty interesting data point there for Seku. Uh, before we get to a break and come back, I do want to talk to you about good folks at Untuck It real quickly because today's show is brought to you by them. And dads come in all shapes and sizes. Said so should their shirts like tall, short, slim, and relaxed. Ever wonder why your friend's father's button-ups look so baggy at the end of the day? It can be so hard for guys to pull off a casual untuck look that isn't sloppy that's where untuck it comes in untuck it is the solution that fits just right their shirts are specifically designed to, to look great untucked and feel comfortable at work or on the weekend so no tucking or tailoring required go to untuckit.com promo code nba to get 20 percent off we'll come back in just a few seconds with more on the atlanta hawks Okay, and we're back to talk some more about what's going on in Hawksland these days. Uh, one report that I wanted to get out there was from Mike Scotto of The Athletic. Uh, Mike is often uh, first to get on, get out in front of some stuff, especially with the Hawks. He's been out in front and been correcting some stuff in recent years and uh, a, a trusted voice. He reported um, earlier over the weekend that, quote, several executives around the lead side of the Hawks, Celtics, Nets, and Sixers, as teams looking to unload at least one of their draft picks on the trade market. End quote. Uh, he did not specifically note anything about lottery picks for what it's worth. That's something to keep in mind here. It was not a report about 8 and 10. It was, it was a report about draft picks overall, which is worth putting out there. With that said, no surprise, obviously, no, whatsoever here. And that was kind of the collective reaction when I wrote about it a little bit at peacetroops.com is that, yeah, duh. And I totally understand that. It was just definitely the first reporting publicly about the Hawks being open for business there to some degree. 
Travis Schlake made the comment earlier in May. Uh, I was, on, I was on, on site for that one when they were talking about the fact that the team does not want um, five rookies. That does not mean, though, that they can't make five picks because they could be making five picks and just stash one or two guys. I still think if I had to guess, there'll be a trade of some sort, but um, not wanting five rookies does not mean they have to trade a draft pick. They could definitely take a draft and stash. In fact, they'll be mocked to do that quite often, I would imagine, in the coming days, especially in the second round with um, various players that could be available in that range if they don't want to you know, sort of make a deal and kick the can down the road a little bit. Um, of course, you know, for me, the, the value in this draft, in my opinion, is moving down in the first round, at least, um, not up. They could fall in love with a player, though, in the four, five, six range and pretty easily get there with the way their assets align right now. For me, I'd be looking probably to move down from 10 if I was going to do anything at all in the first round. Or, of course, they have the, the trio of picks in the second round if you wanted to package those together to go up a few spots and get somebody that you absolutely wanted. Or, uh, for instance, the last year, the 2018 model, which, of course, all the attention was paid to the top end of the draft, but they also moved out of 34 and got two picks in the future to go ahead and do that. I didn't love that move because I thought last year's draft was very deep and good. With that said, this year would make a lot of sense if they want to kick the can down the road a little bit and like get off of 41 or 44. If they can get a future pick for one of those, they might be able to go ahead and do that and sort of spread the wealth a little bit and also not just not have so many rookies and so many uh, assets here if they don't make a trade earlier on. So no huge surprises there. They could they could package picks. They could do they could go up. They could go down. But um, Travis Schlenk has, has wheeled and dealed in both of his first two drafts. Of course, his first draft, the trade was made before the draft that even happened with Dwight Howard, and they moved down ten spots in the second round as part of that deal. And then last year, uh, he made two different trades. Of course, the high profile one at the top, and then the deal with Charlotte's and moved down. So just keep that in mind for the future. And that was the first public reporting and more firm reporting from Scotto about what was going to be happening there with the Hawks being pretty active on the trade market. Quickly, I wanted to run through some mock drafts and tell you guys where they are right now if you have not seen those. Um, CBS Sports had Jarrett Culver falling to eight, which kind of surprised me. I think that's probably not very likely. And Brandon Clark at number 10. Um, Sports Illustrated, Jeremy Wu had DeAndre Hunter and Jackson Hayes, eight and 10. Um, there was a double dose of Cam Reddish and Jackson Hayes from ESPN and The Athletic. Sporting News had Cam Reddish and Seku Demboya, which would be very interesting in a lot of ways. Bleacher Report and our good friend Jonathan Wasserman, who was on this podcast a few weeks ago, he had Cam Reddish and Romeo Langford. That surprised me. Romeo just can't shoot it right now, which would not be a Travis Schlank thing, but I think saw something on film that maybe they wanted to fix that. He's a pretty talented prospect otherwise, and uh, for me, I'm still favoring wings over bigs in, the, in a vacuum here. Um, one thing to add to those mock drafts is that Chris Kirchner, the athletic good friend of the program, wrote on Monday about the prospects that he is hearing that could be in play at 8 and 10. For the most part, it's the usual suspect. It's uh, Reddish, Hunter, Culver, Clark, Hayes. Those guys are the guys who, and Seku, who are just always going to be associated with the Hawks. He did mention two guys that were off the radar that I got asked about a few times after that piece came out. Um, Rui Hachimura of Gonzaga and Bruno Fernando. I'm pretty out on Hachimura. I think Clark is a much better prospect from Gonzaga, for instance, than Hachimura is. I don't think I would take Rui in the top. 18 or so, maybe top even 20. I'm pretty low on him. I understand the production that was there at Gonzaga, but he does not really have a modern game, in my opinion. Defensively, it just was kind of a mess at times. At Gonzaga, doesn't really shoot it very well either. Just kind of this interesting, he's definitely a power forward type. Um, and if you could 
untap some of the skills that he has. I'm not saying he's going to be a bust, but not someone I'd be taking in the lottery if I was the Hawks. Um, Fernando is interesting. Kircher did make sure to note that he was not going to be projecting that um, as a likely target at number 10, but rather more in a trade-down scenario. For me, I have Fernando in the 20s. I think he's a first-round pick, which is higher than I was on him probably six months ago. He, he came on pretty strong this season throughout the year, so he should, he should be commended for that, to be sure. But I wouldn't take him anywhere in the top 15, to be sure. Uh, you know, He does have a pretty modern game for a big man. He's a good athlete. He's a good passer. He's a nice little playmaker in certain different ways. Just doesn't have too much in the way of polish offensively and defensively. I'm not sure he's going to be a game-changing guy. I think... Um, for instance, I would not be prioritizing him um, over guys in the center crop like like Hayes or Goja. And as, as I mentioned repeatedly on the podcast on Friday with Tower Jones, uh, we you know, we kind of agree on this, but my, my stance is, you know, avoiding true centers unless they are special prospects in the top 10. And uh, for me, none of those guys meet that criteria, whether it be Hayes, whether it be Fernando or Goja. And I think Fernando is a pretty, pretty decent step down from Hayes and Goja. For instance, if I, if I, I, you know, I'm not very high on Bol Bol, for instance, I think I probably would take Bol Bol over Bruno Fernando just because Bol Bol's upside is just so much higher. I, I do think that Fernando's uh, you know, median outcome, his average outcome is higher than Bol Bol's because I think Bol Bol could be a bust um, pretty easy. Uh, and Fernando, I think, is an NBA player in some way. I just, I just for me, don't see too much upside with him. Just so I want to put that in, in the context a little bit and point out that you know I know he was in that same piece with guys at eight and ten, but um, even even Chris, who wrote the piece, did make, make sure to reference that it was definitely more of a trade down thing. And you know, wouldn't surprise me if the Hawks like Bruno Fernando. He's a very skilled, you know, high basketball IQ guy, and I think he would sort of fit pretty well in Atlanta. I just wouldn't take him in the top. 10 or 15 for me. If they if they trade if they trade it down far enough to somewhere in the late teens or early 20s, then it starts to make some sense there if they fall in love with him. And of course, if they like him, you just take the guy you want to take, but that would not be my priority. What I wanted to say out loud there. Um, last thing here before we, get out, before we get out of here on this fun Monday evening into Tuesday morning. Uh, people have been asking for a big board of sorts for me. I think it's pretty fluid, and I, I, at some point I'm going to put one out probably on the podcast, just more of a, a, a fly-through of where I am big board-wise. I don't really have a finalized board at this point in time. I said this on the last podcast with Tower Jones. I would not be prioritizing non-big men at 8 and 10. That's kind of it for me. So quickly, my big board at the top, at least, uh, at least for first-round consideration for the Hawks, would be I'd be taking – Culver, Hunter, and Reddish in that order. I would prioritize Culver. If he was there at eight, it's an absolute no-brainer. I can't imagine he will be, but if he, I mean, it's not impossible. So if he's there, you just take him. Same for Hunter if that if Culver is gone and then Reddish. And then after that, it would be uh, a tier that includes Little, Sekou, and um, Brandon Clark. Um, I'm not sure how I'm going to land on those guys just yet in terms of the order. I think I'm leaning towards Little at the top of that. Maybe maybe Seiko. I think Clark's going to be um, third out of those three for me. Probably. We'll see how that um, ebbs and flows in the next uh, four uh, four weeks. I do have a full month now to decide that. But that's sort of three player tier for me. And then after that, you get into the other guys, the bigs. Your, your Jackson Hayes, your, Go, your your Gojas, your uh, even Romeo Langford, guys like that who I would not take at ten. So I, for me. It's kind of a, a pretty simple evaluation. Uh, the guys who we know are going to be gone, which is Zion, which is Morant, which is Barrett. And I think, obviously, Garland and White, you can't take in the top 10. I'm on record as saying that. But that's five guys I just named. And then you have Culver, Hunter, Reddish, Little, Sekou, and Brandon Clark. That's 11. So if, you, if the Hawks stay at 10... Two of, those, two of those 11 guys will be on the board, and that's what I would take. I would take the highest-rated guy available on both. It doesn't matter what position they are. I, if it's two wings, you take two wings. If it's uh, something else like that, you just kind of take the best player available. So that's where I am. I have a pretty firm top 11, um, and for me, it's a top eight 
followed by a three-player tier at 9, 10, and 11. That makes it very interesting and very challenging for me in terms of evaluation with Little, Sekou, and Brandon Clark. But that's my top 11, and that probably won't change. I can't imagine anybody's going to be crashing that party. If there is somebody, maybe it's Goja, considering I haven't seen too much on him recently. I've been trying to watch more film, and people are starting to have him, have him rising. But aside from that, I just can't see anybody else that's available uh, crashing that top 11 party. So that's kind of where I am. And that means uh, at least my recommendation would be to take two guys on that list at 8 and 10 barring trade. So plenty of uh, content there for today's podcast. We're going to have a guest hopefully later in the week that I have lined up. I do want to take a second to tell you about the show um, that today's show is brought to you also in part by Grip6 because their goal is to literally make the best spell that's ever been made. It's an easy, thoughtful gift for dads, brothers, husbands, uncles, grandpas, and even moms and wives. It's ultra lightweight with no holes, no flap, and it carries a low profile with buckle laying flat into the waist. So Grip6 has a special offer for you at grip6.com slash lock. Grip6.com slash lock. We thank, thank them as well for sponsoring today's show. All right, that's going to do it for today's podcast. Please stay tuned. Please subscribe to this show, and we'll see everybody later on in the week.